Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Stick Together is recorded at 3CR Studios on the lands of the Rwandri people of the Kulin Nation. The show's producers recognise that they work on stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. We pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. Always was, always will be. G'day comrades. This is Jackson McInerney reporting for this week's edition of Stick Together, the only national program focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. On today's episode, I'll be talking with Nick Reich, a delegate for the Transport Workers' Union and an OH&S rep for Removalist Company Man with a Van. We will discuss the changing pressures on removalists during the pandemic, as well as disruption in the broader logistics industry. Finally, We will discuss the inappropriate co-option of solidarity rhetoric by transport workers pushing anti-vax and anti-lockdown agendas to the detriment of fellow workers. But first, some union news. The Victorian branch of the Australian Education Union will vote on Monday, September 13th to take protected industrial action in support of unmet claims in this year's Victorian Government Schools Agreement, VGSA. The union, whose workforce have experienced a tumult of rapid change during extended school shutdowns, are calling for recognition of the unpaid hours worked by teachers and education support, or ES staff, alongside an increasingly at-risk cohort of students. Pastoral care needs of students have dramatically increased during the shutdowns, with teachers and support staff the first port of call for many distressed students and their families. Kids Helpline reports a 68% increase in young Victorians seeking assistance since the pandemic began. Additionally, school staff have been forced to undertake immediate professional development to deliver remote and flexible learning online, often with inadequate training or resources. Research conducted by the AEU suggests school staff work an average of 15 hours per week of unpaid overtime, with 92% of surveyed teachers believing a reduction in workload would have dramatic benefits to students and teachers alike. 40% of surveyed teachers consider leaving the profession daily. The Victorian government has as yet met none of the additional claims in the 2021 VGSA, with proposed industrial action as yet undefined, leaving the door ajar for statewide strikes. The continuing revelations about JobKeeper's massive overpayments to profitable businesses during the pandemic has drawn criticism from Labor MP Andrew Lee. In an op-ed for the New Daily, Lee said the scheme amounted to free cash for billionaires, with no public accounting kept for public scrutiny. Data from the Parliamentary Budget Office this week suggests that thousands of businesses who increased annual turnover last financial year also pocketed billions in government subsidies. 20,000 companies whose annual turnover more than tripled took nearly $370 million, the ABC reported. Perhaps more galling for struggling workers 
independentmediacrikey.com's Georgia Wilkinson has revealed that many large companies, including online retailers, crown resorts, and private health companies who continued to trade, paid significant stock dividends and executive bonuses made of JobKeeper profits, rather than this money flowing to employees in need. Solomon Liu's Premier Investments received $40 million in government money last financial year, despite Liu's personal wealth of $3.7 billion, a larger recorded profit than 2019's pre-pandemic levels, and a $57 billion handout to shareholders. He also stood down 12,000 workers at the outset of the pandemic, and hundreds more were stood down without pay in Sydney at the start of the recent lockdown. The Commonwealth Bank this week described the last year for business as overall larger profits and bigger dividends for the top end of town. Meanwhile, Cassandra Goldie from the Australian Council of Social Services reminds us that 670,000 Australians are currently in lockdown with no additional government support, expected to live on $44 a day. And that's the news. You're listening to Stick Together, recorded for 3CR Community Radio, coming to your local community radio station via the Community Radio Network. You're listening to Stick Together, union news, workers' stories and social justice recorded at 3CR's Melbourne studios and broadcast around the country on the Community Radio Network. I'm Jackson McInerney. Transport and logistic workers have recurrently been placed under the microscope during this pandemic, from the public flaying of New South Wales-based removalists who carried COVID back into Victoria in July, to the genuine respect for the workers that have kept the toilet paper and other essentials stocked on shelves throughout placing themselves on the virus's front line in all states and territories every day. It's also an industry that's undergoing rapid disruption outside of the global pandemic. Amazon, Uber and their associates are using new technology to enact age-old exploitation of workers en masse. The pandemic has had a steroid-like effect on these delivery services, and it sees the Transport Workers Union, Retail and Fast Food Workers Union and other bodies scrambling to support these workers and understand these new models. Today on the show, we'll be joined by Nick Reich. He's a Transport Workers Union delegate and OH&S rep for Man With A Van Removalists, as well as a member of Socialist Alternative and former candidate for the Victorian Socialist Parliamentary Party. Nick, welcome to Stick Together. Thanks for having me, Jackson. I thought we could start off talking a bit about your work as a removalist during COVID. After the July outbreak here in Victoria, did you and your team notice an increase in perhaps unwanted interest in your work by the public? (laughs) Yeah, there was a slight uptick in backlash, I think. Um, It was mostly felt by the Bone Star, who got a lot of calls, you know, pointing out that a lot of our people had um, no, at various points, weren't wearing masks whilst moving and different things like this, which I don't fully resent. I think it's totally legitimate for people to be keeping an eye on health measures and 
um, you know, a little bit more attentive to furniture removalists in particular. That's totally fine and understandable. But one thing I think that I always kind of say to my workmates or say to anyone who raises concerns about us is we have been working all throughout the pandemic. And particularly last year when case numbers were incredibly high, a few of my workmates caught the virus whilst on the job and spread it to other workmates. And it's clearly like it's an issue for us, just as much as it is a question of public health. And we're not going out into the community trying to spread it, denying its seriousness or trying to, you know, ignore the health and safety kind of dangers that are present. We have been fighting to try to prioritise health in our company um, and enact some pretty strict health and safety measures that we obviously as workers observe, but are also trying to enforce on management all throughout. So it's a fight we take seriously, which is why I think we don't fully resent the kind of sniping that comes from the general public and when they call up and tell us to wear our masks. But I would just say to anyone who's keeping a close eye on furniture removalists at the moment, we're, show us a bit of solidarity. Um, we are frontline workers too. Can you talk a bit about what steps you have uh, taken um, around occupational health and safety during the pandemic? Yeah, so I guess the, the kind of structures that we have, which really do help us out, uh, we have a health and safety committee and myself as a health and safety rep, which served us pretty well early on in the pandemic because there was a lot of cross currents of information, not very clear communication and things like that. So being able to push for things on an enterprise level around clarifying our measures and, and pushing for um, more stringent measures was really, really helpful. And it meant that at our workplace, we um, now have what we, we do contactless moves, basically, where we ask the customer who is moving house to not be present so that we're not breathing the same air, we're not kind of transmitting that way. Um, and we ask them then to obviously follow a bunch of measures where they wipe their all surfaces down, they label everything that they need us to move, we, all, we put it in the truck and, um, yeah, we transport it, like, if all goes well, without any interaction with the customer whatsoever. And that's important because we're going from all different suburbs all around the city and if any one of us catches it and then transmits it onto someone else, that's... Um, various new kind of, um, yeah, places where the virus is being transmitted. So contactless moves is a big one. Having adequate kind of um, PPE on site has been really important that we've had to, you know, push for and keep an eye on, but management has generally been quite good at being able to provide. Um, and the other thing is seriously keeping an eye on and trying to police what is and isn't an essential move which is where the kind of industrial and social starts to blur, I think, because management consistently had the line last year where they said the, the customer should decide if their move is essential, which obviously it has echoes of Gladys Berejiklian saying companies should decide whether they're essential or not. Mm. Um, and clearly anyone is going to say that, oh, my you know, business is essential. What I need to do is essential. So we were pushing um, in quite a concerted and serious way to say, no, some moves are absolutely not essential. Moving someone's couch to their beach house doesn't need to go on during a pandemic. Um, you know, moving some building materials from various things like that. There are a lot of jobs that were massively superfluous and we didn't want to be putting ourselves at risk for the sake of, some particularly often very wealthy individuals, um, private kind of doings. We mm. think we want to do 
things like domestic violence moves and um, moves where people are going to be evicted very soon, things that are important. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, and I think that's a real insight. Uh, many listeners of this program would already know, but when you do have you know, an active union, it means it's not just the interests of the bosses that are uh, represented when deciding what, what work to take on. Uh, I also wonder with the PPE, I remember when when hearing about the uh, New South Wales removalists, you know, people were, you know, being scathing and sniping, as you were saying, but I remember thinking that imagine you rocked up to an apartment and there's people there, there's heaps of stuff to move, you just help them. That's what a night, you just help them carry things up the stairs. I know they weren't allowed and you probably wouldn't wear a mask because it's really hard, heavy lifting, heavy lifting, you know, so these things, they make sense. But, you know, is your PPE now more breathable? Like have you got the, the face shields rather than, than the masks? We still wear the masks as much as we can. Um, it's the face shields are quite cumbersome, so they, they don't work as much. Um, it's it's kind of yeah, it's it's interesting because it's I, I think a reflection of the one size fits all kind of thing doesn't really work because we do. You're right. We get huffing and puffing, and it's quite difficult when you're going up and down stairs the whole time to breathe through a, a very thick mask. So. Everyone, the, the masks that we got from management are washable, reusable, fitted face masks, which are quite good for people who may not have access to or can't afford masks. Um, but a lot of people who do have access to masks uh, basically just find one that suits for them. Um, and then it's, it's a matter of enforcing the contact listing because the masks become less relevant the more that you are enforcing social distancing, so to speak, i.e. just keeping in entirely clear of any mm. people. Ideally, we want to be on site without anyone else on site. And so masks become less important. I, I think it must be a really nice change in the industry to not have super stressed clients appearing over your shoulder the whole time <laughs> while you move their most precious objects. Yeah. That's just a yeah. comment, not a question. Um, <laughs> it's interesting I want to talk about the industry a bit more broadly now. You know, you're an active member of, of the TWU. Uh, we saw in late August that TWU members employed by Toll Logistics walked off the job in protest over the so-called Uberization of the industry. Now, Stick Together, this program, has reported on the Amazon Flex model before, but I was hoping, Nick, if you could just expand a little on what this Uberization looks like and what it means for workers. I, I wonder whether a platform like Airtasker is this type of threat to the removalist in industry. Yeah, I think it's interesting because it goes it goes by many names, I guess. Uberization is one, casualization, just like the, the withering away of any kind of job security is something that bosses have been seriously pushing for over the past few decades. Um, and I guess the the nomenclature or just calling it uberization is a reflection of the fact that uber is one of these leading forces in that and i think yeah in in general it's this process of yeah actually um not giving people secure jobs full-time contracts and positions but rather employing them on a casual basis where you don't actually as a boss you don't owe them any solid hours you can pay them on a piece rate basis. Um, I think for you know Amazon Flex, it's generally paying, it can be along the lines of paying by the, the package and, and different things like that, rather than paying by the hour. All of these things which severely undermine the rights of workers and enforce them to work harder and faster for less money. Also the fact that um, 
workers have to provide their own um, trucks or own, their own vans and pay for their own petrol and things like that, which isn't covered in the wages that they're paid by Amazon. And I think at the same time, it's, it's a reflection of the fact that this is being wedged in in industries that are traditionally not as well unionised. So Uber, for example, is edging in in an industry, of, you know, taxi, um, the taxi industry, which historically has not been very well unionised. It's not been one where there's been a strong base of organisation amongst the unions, um, which, yeah, is obviously uh, now it's meant that they can build quite a, a significantly sized company and, and have a big foothold in the industry that does undermine work, working rights, but it's not something that then automatically translates beyond that into unionised industries where we can fight back and, and push for it. Um, and food delivery is another one like um, Uber Eats, Deliveroo, etc., which again, yeah, the TWU has been campaigning around. That is also an industry that historically has not been very well unionised, but it's this thin edge of the wedge thing. They get a foothold in industries that are traditionally casual anyway, and then they, you know, put the system on steroids and they, um, yeah, basically wither away the kind of rights, whatever basic rights do exist within those industries. And then you can see in logistics, parcel delivery with um, Star Trek and Australia Post now taking on this model, Amazon Flex expanding a model around the same kind of um, casualization and Uberization. They're trying to spread it into um, industries that do generally have more of a, um, a unionized workforce and do employ more numbers of people than, um, yeah, taxis or, or food delivery. So it's something that affects all workers and we should absolutely attempt to organise these industries that are being undermined, but we should defend the rights we have in these bigger industries as well, which I think the TWU is good at doing kind of both of at the moment. Mm. It's a really um, another interesting distinction between, say, Uber Eats and uh, trucking or delivery is the danger that it, the workers are clearly in danger under the Uber model. There was a report last month that Uber was not uh, following their due diligence and reporting incidents involving car accidents, sexual assaults, physical assaults involving their workers and passengers in the cars, um, you know, workers regularly working 17-hour shifts or more, you know, very little regulation, you know, which, which you've touched on. But when you put that person, you know, in a semi-rigid heavy trailer, you know, that, that that's going, that's driving hundreds of kilometres with uh, flammable cargo, you know, suddenly those stakes get a lot higher. And, you know, there's been this uh, correlation, you know, between a push for industry-wide minimum wages and OH&S regulations and road deaths. And this has, you know, been established as far back as the Road Safety Remuneration Tribunal, the RSRT, which the Turnbull government abolished in 2016. And since that abolition, I think there's been 205 truck drivers that have died on Australian roads while working, you know, which makes the industry, the logistics industry, actually Australia's deadliest industry, which some people may not know. Can you kind of explain the link between industry-wide standards and safety and maybe tease out a little to your opinion why the government is opposed to life-saving regulation of this sort? Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting question, especially now that, it's, you know, it's only recently that um, 
deaths on the roads and trucking incidents have been included in workplace deaths. It's wow. seen as you know, road incidents and things like that. So in the latest Senate inquiry, they're now, you know, they've accepted that, oh, this is actually a workplace when you're on the roads. So um, OHS standards do apply. It's, yeah, it's this appalling kind of um, approach to it, obviously, where, um, you know, the government and um, industry in general are prioritising the profits of their companies and the, their capacity to make money over the lives of truck drivers and um, people actually propping up the economy and keeping it going. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question, like the, the links between those kinds of standards, because I think you can sort of see it in the lengths that drivers are pushed to in terms of having to drive for long hours um, in order to just make basic peace rates or the kind of standover pressures that are um, enforced in the workplace one-on-one because there's the big picture stuff around you have to work this many hours in order to make all of your deliveries in order to make the basic wage to live, um, which are these big picture things that are covered by contracts and that you need a fighting union to establish a decent contract with decent pay rates and all of those sorts of things so that these broader structures don't push drivers into taking undue risks and putting themselves at the wheel when they're fatigued, when they're tired or, um, yeah, basically undermining their capacity to just say no if they aren't in a state to drive. But then on the flip side, there is a thing of actually managers can pressure workers. They can, you know, um, at a workplace by workplace sort of, you know, depot by depot level, managers can just play a bit of a game of just um, saying, oh, you know, why don't you just sort of make this delivery? Why don't you push this through? I think, um, yeah, my experience, obviously, um, that can be a reality in furniture removals. It can be a reality in any industry. And the only counterweight against it is the strength, confidence and kind of sense of dignity and collective strength in a workplace by workplace kind of level. So if you have decent health and safety structures where workers feel a sense of self-righteousness to say no to a boss, then they're far less likely to take risks for the benefit of the boss and no real benefit for themselves. You know, it's for the benefit of making this final delivery so that they can keep this contract or, um, yeah, different things like that. I think... It's, yeah, it's and you're right too that the um, the pressure is so much easier to apply to a casual worker because you have so little. If you if you refuse the work, you're going to get offered less work. Is is often the model in these industries, isn't it? And you know the horrible incident that occurred last year where the truck driver drove into the parked uh, police cars, and you know there's all of that death. And when the report came out that he had repeatedly said to his boss, "I don't want to get behind the wheel." that his wife had called his boss and said, don't put him behind the wheel again. I mean, it, the, to my mind, in my opinion, the criminal liability lies with that boss telling him again and again to get behind the wheel. Yeah. I just want to touch on, you know, a kind of, uh, I don't know whether to call it ironic, but the weeks that saw targeted strike action at Toll, you know, and proposed strike action at FedEx and Lynn Fox, we also saw the rise of this hashtag stand with truckies movement, which saw a couple of anti-lockdown QAnon conspiracy types warn Australians that 
truck drivers run this country and they were going to take it back from the corporate government. It wasn't exactly a coherent call to action, but it did seem a part, like it seemed opposed to vaccine passports and lockdowns. And strangely, the topic went viral for some time, I would think because of the corporate media's sycophantic relationship with misinformation. In this time of political dissatisfaction, how can the union movement and the broader left, the broader progressive society, keep this dissatisfaction targeted towards the actual enemies of working people? Mm. Yeah, that movement, as it were, was quite (laughs) funny in the end in what it resulted in two truck drivers parking their trucks on a road for a couple of hours and then Pauline Hanson stopping by for a photo shoot. Like, it's pretty clear who these kind of, you know, these political interests line up with. The union movement disavowed it. The TW said that this um, action, this stand with truckies has nothing to do with us Um, because, yeah, clearly the question of vaccines and workers' health and safety on a basic level Um, it's something that the union movement ought to take very seriously. And, yeah, on the question of, like, actually how we avoid these kinds of people, you know, acting like they're fighting the elites just as much as the union movement is or, you know, they're fighting, yeah, for freedom or, or whatever. Like, I think, yeah, it's been a real confusing and mishmash sort of thing in that, most of the people who actually no, in reality it hasn't been confusing the people who are lining up and arguing for an end to lockdown arguing against vaccine mandates and arguing against all of these basic um health measures it's the business council it's the right and it's the liberal party you see there, there was an open letter that came out yesterday calling for you know an end to lockdown measures and that was signed by like a few dozen companies of the biggest companies in Australia, West Farmers, like, yeah, all of these various companies that have spent their entire existences fucking over workers' rights, putting their profits before workers' basic dignity in the workplace and making billions upon billions at our expense, now coming out and acting like they have some care for our kind of freedom and mental health and dignity. It's got nothing to do with that whatsoever. So I think it's important to actually draw that class line and say, as a union movement, it's a boss's slogan to say that you're against lockdowns as a health and safety measure. And we are for whatever health and safety measure is going to save as many lives as possible, especially at the moment with the Doherty report being used to beat the drums around opening up. They're opening up at a 70 to 80% vaccination rate amongst adults is a recipe for mass deaths. And clearly working class opinion On the whole, like the majority of the population, actually, the polling has shown support Labor premiers when they have enacted lockdowns and say that we shouldn't go forward with a policy that's going to result in mass deaths. So, yeah, I I agree that small little actions like this that act like they're for the the battler, they're for the kind of salt of the earth, people who just want freedom and, and want a right to work or whatever, they're given undue platforms and they are allowed to muddy the conversation in a way that we just shouldn't countenance whatsoever. It's a boss's fight to try to open up prematurely and it should be a basic union position, which it is, but it it should be more stridently put that we as workers and we as unions are against something that's going to result in mass deaths, i.e. opening up too soon when the vaccination rate is too low. Nick, thanks heaps for your time today um, and all the best.
uh, in the future. Thanks, Jackson. That's it for Stick Together this week. If you want to catch up with our program, the podcast is available at 3cr.org.au or iTunes or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Just search for Stick Together. You can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. My name's Jackson McInerney, and remember, wherever you are and whatever you do, there's a union for you. Until next time, stick together and keep safe. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.